Welcome to NTD News Today. I'm Kevin Hogan. Let's take a look at our top stories. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen visits Canada to discuss Ukraine and inflation, but she sidesteps a question on interest rates. A Texas woman pleading guilty to 26 counts of voter fraud. Find out more about what the Texas Attorney General calls a vote harvesting operation. Former Trump advisor Jenna Ellis says the Pennsylvania governor's race is key to the nation's election integrity. We look at why she is saying that. U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen sidestepped a question on inflation and interest rates while in Canada Monday. She said that's the Federal Reserve's job. And today's Jessica Beatty has more. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen met with Canadian Deputy Prime Minister Chrystia Freeland in Toronto Monday. When a reporter asked about inflation and interest rates, Yellen had this to say. The primary role for addressing inflation rests with the Federal Reserve. Earlier this month, Yellen testified that she was wrong about the path inflation would take. She was a key voice predicting price rises would be transitory, although others warned the economy could overheat. And overheat, it has. Inflation's at a 40-year high in the United States. Gas prices for both regular unleaded and diesel hit record highs this month, according to AAA. During the meeting, Yellen blamed inflation on global factors, including lockdowns in China and the conflict in Ukraine. She said one solution could be working on supply chains. Making our supply chains more resilient including with partnerships with close trading partners and allies like Canada. Yellen and Freeland also discussed increasing pressure on Russia to end the conflict in Ukraine. Yellen said they're talking about price caps or a price exception to strengthen energy restrictions against Russia. That would push down the price of Russian oil and depress Putin's revenues while allowing more oil supply to reach the global market. While the Biden administration blames higher prices on the pandemic and Russia's invasion of Ukraine, Republicans blame Biden's policies. And an administration seemingly every day driving our economy into the abyss of a socialist welfare state. Former Vice President Mike Pence slammed Biden's economic record Monday during a speech at the University Club of Chicago. Pence called on Biden to keep his oath and put the U.S. first. It's time for Joe Biden to promote the general welfare. The general welfare that derives in this country from a prosperous free market economy. Pence said it's time to put America back on a path to prosperity built on American principles and ideas. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Delays, cancellations, and a backlog of baggage have become commonplace at airports in the U.S. and Europe. And the CEO of United Airlines says that government help is needed to get things back to normal. United CEO Scott Kirby says United and other airlines are facing challenges after two years of reduced activity following COVID-19. In the U.S., airlines have been limited in the number of flights they can schedule due to a shortage of staff. Kirby says air traffic control is also understaffed. He wants the government to assist by enforcing the rules to limit the number of flights to what busier airports can handle and to work to get air traffic control towers to full staffing. Good news for federal wildland firefighters. They're getting a raise, at least a temporary one. President Biden made the announcement this morning. In a statement released by the White House, Biden called the raise for federal firefighters back pay. 
He said their biweekly checks will increase for two years by up to 50% of their annual base salary. The funds will be drawn from the bipartisan infrastructure law. Additionally, President Biden said he would work with Congress and do everything in his power to secure long-term funding for federal firefighters. AAA is predicting a record number of July 4th drivers, despite gas prices hitting a record earlier this month. The group predicts 42 million Americans, more than ever before, will take a road trip of 50 miles or more. The national average per gallon on Monday stood at $4.98. That's just pennies off the high of $5.02 reached a week earlier. But AAA says travel demand is not tapering off despite the higher expenses. All the while, fewer Americans will be flying to their destinations due to spikes in airfare, a drop of only about 7%. The cost for a plane ticket is reportedly about 14% more expensive than it was last year. A Texas woman pleaded guilty to 26 counts of voter fraud last week. The fraud took place during a local water board election in 2018. NTD reporter Jeremy Sandberg has more. According to the Texas Attorney General's Office, 36-year-old Monica Mendez of Port Lavaca, Texas, ran a vote harvesting operation on behalf of a subsidized housing corporation in order to influence the outcome of a utility board election in Bloomington of Victoria County, Texas. Mendez pleaded guilty to three counts of illegal voting, eight counts of election fraud, seven counts of assisting a voter to submit a ballot by mail, and eight counts of unlawful possession of a mail ballot. She was sentenced to five years of deferred adjudication probation by a Victoria County District judge. Mendez was working as a volunteer deputy registrar voter during a 2018 water board election, assisting residents to register to vote. Mendez was signing both applications to register to vote and applications to vote by mail. After around 275 of the 2,500 people who registered to vote in the election used the same mailing address associated with a local housing nonprofit called ALMS, the Attorney General's office took notice. Mendez was charged with 26 counts of voter fraud in April 2021 and arrested in June that year by the Texas AG's Election Fraud Unit. She was indicted in July by a grand jury in the county of Victoria. Since 2015, the Texas Attorney General has successfully prosecuted 534 election fraud offenses against 155 individuals, according to their website. 43 individuals in Texas have a prosecution pending. The AG is conducting 386 open voter fraud investigations. Currently, charges for election fraud in Texas range from misdemeanor offenses up to felonies subject to state jail time. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News. Former Trump advisor Jenna Ellis says Pennsylvania's gubernatorial race could set the tone for election integrity across the nation. Here's that story. Trump-backed state Senator Doug Mastriano entered Pennsylvania's closely watched governor's race. The GOP nominee has appointed Jenna Ellis, a former Trump campaign lawyer, as a senior legal advisor. In an appointment statement shared on her Twitter, Ellis called the November race the most important in the country. She told the Epic Times that if Mastriano is elected, he will ensure election integrity and administer elections according to state law. That may set off a ripple effect in the rest of the country. In November 2020, Mastriano chaired a hearing of the Senate Majority Policy Committee investigating alleged election fraud. The hearing featured testimony from former New York City Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Mastriano's investigation lasted until he was removed from the task. The nominee said he aims for a fresh start to clear the state's voter rolls and have every voter re-register. 
Meanwhile, Jenna Ellis took issue with a recent Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruling. It allowed officials to count ballots that arrived in undated envelopes. According to Pennsylvanian state law, ballots received on time but missing a handwritten date will be rejected. Ellis called the ruling another example of the judicial branch actually violating the law and becoming activists. She thus urged voters to get out and vote in November. That's to ensure involvement in choosing their own leaders. Facebook removed a controversial campaign advertisement released by Missouri Senate candidate Eric Greitens. The ad was focused on so-called rhinos, or Republicans in name only. In a Twitter post, Greitens wrote, We are sick and tired of the Republicans in name only surrendering to Joe Biden and the radical left. Order your rhino hunting permit today. A video then shows a smiling Greitens holding a shotgun and saying, We're going rhino hunting. On Monday, Greitens said Facebook censored the ad. Facebook confirmed it removed his video. A spokesperson told The Hill that it violated policies prohibiting violence and incitement. Twitter didn't remove the video, but added a message to the post saying it violates Twitter rules about abusive behavior. The ad will remain because Twitter says it may be in the public's interest for the tweet to remain accessible. Greitens' ad drew criticism from a variety of groups, including a spokesperson for the National Rifle Association. Next, we take a look at the role of a culture in a range of areas within American society, specifically the retail sector and the military. For example, on Thursday, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer for North Dakota issued a statement after his committee advanced the fiscal year 2023 National Defense Authorization Act. He said it makes important inroads to prevent the Biden administration from implementing its social agenda at the Department of Defense. Our next guest is a former longtime social justice advocate. She gives us some insight into how that ideology is affecting the Navy. Joining us now is Carrie Smith, the host of Deprogrammed. Thanks for joining us, Carrie. Thanks, Kevin. I want to start off with the Navy. They're now giving a training to its members in the form of a children's video. It's trying to create a safe space with the use of so-called proper gender pronouns. What are the implications of this? Well, anytime this woke ideology infiltrates an organization, whether it's military or educational or entertainment or if it's a company, it sort of subverts whatever the original goal was of that organization. So if the Navy is now more concerned with teaching about safe spaces and pronouns, then I'm, I'm very skeptical that their priority is still keeping us safe and securing our borders. <laughs> it's very it's just concerning for me that they're spending time on it. So who would benefit from this type of training? That's a great question. I don't think anyone benefits from it. I, think, <laughs> I, I truly don't. I think it's the kind of thing that um, this ideology gets pushed uh, under the guise of protecting people and preventing bullying, and it's about tolerance and inclusivity. But what it's really about is destroying culture. And this is coming from someone who spent 20 years in it. So I think there are some people who push it with good intent, and they take it into places like the Navy or into your local city council or into your local school. And they say, this is about inclusivity. This is about all positive things, guys. But what it really does is it it, it breaks down um, it breaks down whatever your original purpose was of that organization and makes everything about the ideology. So Carrie, you describe this woke culture as a cult. Can you describe how language is being used in that circle? Sure. So I've spent about four years studying it after leaving it and just trying to better understand what it was that I was in. 
like a lot of people who are pushing social justice, I thought it was liberalism. So in studying it, I've, I've been researching a lot of other types of cults. And one of the things they do is they control language because by controlling language, you can control thought. And by controlling thought, you can control people. This is something that Orwell wrote about a lot. And so social justice in particular, they're very concerned with controlling language. They come up with new terms like white privilege, white fragility, toxic masculinity. They're always coining these, these new phrases. And then they're redefining, at the same time, they're redefining commonly accepted definitions of words like racism and sexism. So one of the first things they'll do when you when you find yourself in this world is they'll tell you racism doesn't mean what you think it means. Racism means prejudice plus power. So that means you can't be racist towards this particular race of people, or they'll say sexism is, is prejudice plus power, so therefore you can't be sexist towards men. And the way what that what happens over time is it it truly starts to change the way that you think about these things so that you start to be okay with prejudice or sexism or racism against particular groups. Carrie Smith, host of D Program, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Kevin. Another incident between the U.S. and Iran in international waters. The latest was Monday in the Strait of Hormuz. The Navy shared video of what they saw. The boat you're looking at is called a fast attack craft. It's operated by Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps, or IRGC. You can see it speeding toward the USS Sirocco, a Navy patrol ship out on a routine transit of the area, and it doesn't slow down until the ship sounds its warning alarm. Navy officials say this was one of three Iranian ships that acted in a, quote, unsafe and unprofessional manner, hounding two U.S. ships. The whole incident lasted about an hour and ended when the Iranian crafts left, but it's just one in a string of recent incidents between Iranian boats and U.S. warships. The Strait of Hormuz is a strategic waterway connecting the Persian Gulf to the open ocean, and significant quantities of the world's natural gas and oil flow through there. Coming up, are transgender students being harassed? A school board in Virginia finds it enough of a problem to change its student code. But is it overreach, and do parents agree with the change? We hear from a parent in the midst of the debate to learn more. A U.S. researcher says the Chinese Communist Party is collecting data on Americans through coffee machines, a potential new form of spying. Stay tuned to find out more. A grand jury indicted two former members of the Phi Gamma Delta fraternity for felony hazing. The campus chapter has been removed and 13 students were sanctioned. This is footage of the alleged incident. Last fall, at the University of Missouri, Ryan Delante and Thomas Schultz were charged with life endangerment and supplying liquor to a minor. It's for their involvement in an alcohol poisoning incident. They required 19-year-old Danny Santulli to consume a family-sized bottle of vodka. Santulli drank three-fourths of the bottle and currently suffers from severe brain damage. Warrants have been issued for Delante and Schultz's arrest. We reached out to Phi Gamma Delta fraternity but did not hear back before broadcast time. The Fairfax County, Virginia School Board is making changes to its student code. The approval took place on Thursday. It's meant to prevent what it calls discriminatory harassment against transgender students. But some parents are not happy with the new rules, with some, including our next guest, predicting there may be a recall election for certain board members. 
Joining us now is Stacy Langton, who's a Fairfax County parent and a parental rights activist. Thank you for coming on the show, Stacy. Thanks for having me. The Fairfax County School Board has made changes to its student code. It's expanding punishment, including suspension for students who don't call their transgender classmates by their preferred name or pronoun. What's your stance on this? Well, you know, obviously this is a big overreach by our school board. Um, and, and I might add, you know, we were wondering at our protest last Thursday night at the school board meeting, um, where did the demand for this come from in the first place? Because this is not something that the parents um, perceive to be a problem. Like, is this a thing? Are we having a problem in school with this? Are there a lot of kids running around, you know, that this became an issue? So it doesn't seem to be something that arose organically that the parents have requested. It definitely seems to be something that is very much agenda-driven um, by our school board. And the fact that they're doing this without any input from the parents um, is a tremendous overreach and it just shows their agenda. The school board said that they've made these changes to prevent what they call discriminatory harassment. Do you think that this is the case? No, I don't think that there's a problem uh, with kids running around committing some kind of discrimination against one another. I mean, let's be real, kids are kids, right? <laughs> they're teenagers. Um, they're going to do things that they think are funny. And I think that's where you run into a real problem, right, is that you're going to have a lot of children who are going to instinctively refer to another child by their God-given pronoun, which is, you know, the sex they were born with. And they're going to do it quite innocently because they're kids and that's a natural thing to do. And I don't think that um, as parents we should have to worry about our kids coming home and then, oh, guess what, your child got written up for sexual harassment and now they're being suspended for three days and then that's going to follow them throughout their school's academic record for the rest of their life. That's excessive because I don't think kids do things like that in a um, malicious way, and that was the phrasing they put into the SRR, was they said malicious misgendering. Well, then you have the problem of who's judging whether or not it's malicious. What if it's accidental? You know, it, it just, it, it's a really slippery slope. Some are saying that this is an example of compelled speech where these students are being forced to accept a belief. What's your reaction to this? Right, it absolutely is compelled speech, which would be a violation of every student's First Amendment rights to free speech. Um, if you think about it, it's quite insane because what it's doing is it's taking a very small minority of the students and it's essentially asking all of the rest of us to accept their version of reality, right? It's like, you know, Colonel Klinger, the character in MASH from the 1970s uh, program, he dressed up like a woman because he wanted to be considered crazy so he could get sent home from the war. Well, they're asking us now to essentially be crazy and believe something that's crazy, which is that boys are girls and girls are boys, and that's just not reality. So if you're going to ask me to say something that's against reality, you're, you're infringing upon my um, rights as a you know, individual citizen of the United States. Stacy Langton, parental rights activist, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks very much. Border Patrol caught a suspect trying to smuggle 27 pounds of methamphetamine in children's car seats. A canine team detected $60,000 worth of meth in a car with four children at the U.S.-Mexico border. The arrest of the male suspect, who is a U.S. citizen, took place in Murrieta, California. The driver of the car and the narcotics were turned over to the Inland Crackdown Allied Task Force for prosecution. While the vehicle was seized by Border Patrol agents, the four children and their mother were released. It's not clear if they knew they were being used as mules to smuggle drugs. 
A U.S. expert found that the Chinese Communist Party is collecting data on Americans in a brand new way, through their coffee machines. Let's take a look. A recent report suggests that the Chinese Communist Party is obtaining data via smart coffee machines made in China. Author Christopher Balding published his research through New Kite Data Labs. He warned that such tactics can be used to spy on U.S. consumers. According to his report, these machines collect data on a variety of subjects, including drink production, location, payment information, and other data. In commercial environments like hotels, they can even access route information and payment methods. Some of the coffee machines are made by the Calorum firm, based in China's Jiangsu province. The report noted the manufacturer provides no information on data storage or privacy. The company has been selling models widely throughout the United States and Europe. The report concluded, quote, While we cannot say this company is collecting data on non-Chinese users, all evidence indicates their machines can and do collect data on users outside of mainland China and store the data in China. Balding added that he won't disclose how he obtained the information. That's because he doesn't want the Chinese Communist Party or CCP to prevent him from learning more about their data collection efforts against Americans and others. Cybersecurity experts have long cautioned about similar threats posed by Chinese apps like TikTok. Black Ops Partners CEO Casey Fleming commented that the Communist Party of China is collecting vast amounts of data. It may not be used against you today, but this information might be used against you, your company, or your country in the future. Authorities have seized eight tons of marijuana, almost 18,000 plants, four unlawfully obtained weapons, and a large cache of U.S. currency. It's part of an illegal growing operation linked to Chinese cartels. The Central Oregon Drug Enforcement Team told the Epic Times the illicit operation involved guns, intimidation, and international money laundering. Sergeant Kent Vanderkamp says the weapons seized were equipped with red dots and military-grade equipment not normally found in privately owned weapons. The bust was the result of a two-year investigation. Marijuana, grown at 20 locations in central Oregon, was allegedly sent to Portland to be distributed nationwide. Vanderkamp says proceeds from the marijuana sales were laundered through Chinese restaurants and other businesses operating in Oregon. That's before being sent back to China disguised as international business transactions. The operation allegedly used Chinese laborers who had been trafficked into the country through the southern border. Yellowstone will welcome back visitors this week for the first time since closing due to record-breaking floods. Officials say Yellowstone's South Loop will reopen to the public tomorrow, but who will be allowed into the park depends on the day. They say vehicles with license plates ending with an odd number can visit on odd days of the month. Those ending with zero or an even number can enter on the even days. Officials originally closed all entrances into the park after record rainfall inundated Yellowstone, causing dangerous flooding that damaged roads and destroyed property. At one point, the Yellowstone River rose to its highest level in more than 100 years. The National Park Service said it will use $50 million in emergency funds for Yellowstone's recovery. The money will be used to restore temporary access to parts of the park that's in Montana, as well as other additional sites. A 
A taxi driver in Midtown New York City jumped a curb and injured at least six pedestrians on Monday. That's according to the New York City Police Department. The injured were taken to the hospital, with three of them reportedly in critical condition. NYPD Deputy Police Chief John Chell told media that between 15 and 20 people tried to lift the cab to free two people trapped underneath. According to Chell, the taxi was westbound on 29th Street, turning left onto Broadway when it hit a cyclist and then pedestrians. Police said it appeared to be accidental. An investigation is underway. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And coming up, a 2021 Nobel Peace Prize winner auctions his Nobel medal to give aid to Ukraine. It sold for over $103 million. And Lithuania is going to ban the transit of goods through its territory to a Russian enclave. Residents of the enclave say they are worried about their way of life. Stay tuned for more right here on NTD News. President Joe Biden says he's not likely to visit Ukraine when he travels to Europe later this month for summits with Washington's allies. Are you still planning to go to Ukraine? Uh, that depends. We're, on what? On a lot of things relating to whether or not it causes more difficulty for Ukrainians, whether it distracts from what's going on. But I, uh, I've been, uh, been meeting with Zelensky, and uh, I've talked with him almost well, at least three, four times a week. Speaking to reporters, Biden also said he believes it's very likely that Ukraine will become a member of the European Union. EU leaders this week are expected to give their blessing to Ukraine, becoming an official candidate to join. It's a decision that will be marked as a triumph in Kyiv as it fights Russia's invasion. The editor of one of Russia's last major independent newspapers auctioned off his Nobel Peace Prize medal. The medal sold for a record $103.5 million, which will be used to aid children displaced by the war in Ukraine. Dmitry Muratov was a co-winner of the 2021 Nobel Peace Prize. Muratov's newspaper was fiercely critical of President Vladimir Putin and his government. It suspended operations in Russia in March after warnings from the state over its Ukraine war coverage. Pressure against liberal Russian media outlets has been continuous under Putin. The pressure increased after Moscow sent troops into Ukraine. Muratov was attacked with red paint in April. According to U.S. media reports, the auction of Muratov's prize shattered the record for any Nobel medal that had been auctioned off, with reports saying that the previous highest sale fetched just under $5 million. People living in a Russian enclave sandwiched between Poland and Lithuania are beginning to worry about their quality of life. This is after Lithuania announced a transit ban to the enclave in response to the war in Ukraine and Western sanctions against Russia. Here are the details. Lithuanian authorities announced they are banning the transit of goods through their territory to the Russian exclave of Kaliningrad starting this Saturday. This would apply to goods that are subject to European Union sanctions. Kaliningrad is a Russian province along the Baltic Sea. It is sandwiched between Poland and Lithuania, both of which are EU and NATO members. News of the ban reached the exclave last Friday. Local residents are reacting. 
Maybe prices will increase, or there will be no goods that we used to at all. To be honest, I haven't really thought about it yet, but this is all bad news. The EU sanctions list includes coal, metals, construction materials, and advanced technology. The region's governor says the ban would cover around half of the items that Kaliningrad imports. A local resident says he and many other people are planning to leave the region. I think not only me, many people are planning it now or even regretting that they are living in the Kaliningrad region. When the borders were open, when we could go to Poland, when everything was cheap, there was a whole different life. And now we feel the difference. A representative of the Kaliningrad regional government urged citizens not to resort to panic buying. He says the region can reroute the goods by sea and that two vessels were already ferrying goods between Kaliningrad and St. Petersburg and seven more would be in service by the end of the year. We still hope the minds of our neighbors will overcome the madness that they are doing now, because like the rest of the sanctions, this measure painfully hits on Lithuania's economy. Let's not forget that our neighbors earn good money on Kaliningrad transit. Russia warned Lithuania on Monday that unless they swiftly lift the transit ban, Moscow would take undisclosed measures to defend its national interests. Coming up, Israelis will head to the polls later this year to elect a new government for the fifth time in three years. The current coalition failed to sustain itself in parliament. And France will have a new nuclear reactor up and running by next year. The project was delayed for over 10 years and costs $10 billion more than expected. Stay tuned for more in just a minute. Israel will have a new government and a new prime minister in power soon. The Israeli prime minister is dissolving the parliament and calling for a new election. Here are the details. Israeli Prime Minister Naftali Bennett announced on Monday that he is going to dissolve the Israeli parliament and call a new election. This is after he failed to sustain his ruling coalition, which includes eight political parties from across the political spectrum. My friend, Foreign Minister Yair Lapid and I decided to work together to dissolve the Knesset and to set to hold elections at an agreed time, at the same time transferring the power in an orderly manner and ensuring the national interests of the state of Israel. Even during the transition period, the state continues. Israeli lawmakers will vote to dissolve parliament next week. After that, the country's foreign minister, Yair Lapid, will serve as interim prime minister until new elections can be held. Lapid currently heads the largest party in the coalition. Even if we're going to elections in a few months, our challenges as a state cannot wait. We must address the high cost of living, manage the struggle against Iran, Hamas and Hezbollah, and face the forces that threaten to make Israel an undemocratic state. The parliamentary election is likely to take place sometime this fall. It will be the country's fifth election in three years. Former Prime Minister and current position leader Benjamin Netanyahu vowed a comeback following the announcement on Monday. My friends and I will form a broad national government headed by the Likud, a government that will take care of you, all the citizens of Israel without exception, a government that will lower taxes, that will lower prices and will lead Israel to tremendous achievements, including expanding the circle of peace as we have already done. Bennett formed the eight-party coalition in June 2021 after four successive inconclusive elections. But the coalition lost its majority earlier this year and has faced rebellions from different lawmakers in recent weeks. President Biden is scheduled to visit Israel next month. 
Britain faces its biggest rail strike in 30 years. More than 40,000 workers are due to walk out on Tuesday, Thursday and Saturday to protest pay and job cuts. Picket lines formed at dawn Tuesday, bringing the network largely to a standstill. London's underground was also mostly closed due to a separate strike. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said the action would hurt businesses as they try to recover from the COVID health crisis. But unions have said rail strikes could be one part of a so-called summer of discontent. They argue teachers, medics and other key workers could take action as inflation pushes toward 10 percent. Opposition lawmakers have criticized the government for not getting involved in talks to settle the dispute. Ministers claim it is a matter for the unions to work out directly with rail employers. Britain's economy rebounded strongly from the pandemic at first, but a combination of factors including labor shortages, supply chain disruptions and post-Brexit trade problems have led some economists to warn of a recession. France's newest nuclear reactor will be up and running by next year. The site is almost finished, and it could generate enough power to supply Paris for one year. Let's take a look. This sprawling nuclear site in northwestern France will be up and running next year. It's nestled at the bottom of a granite cliff overlooking the English Channel. This newest reactor is officially known as Flamanville 3 EPR, or European Pressurized Reactor. It's the last stretch, I usually say the final sprint for this plant that is at the pre-operating stage. All buildings are practically finished, more than 95 percent of the site is finished. So this is an exciting moment. We see that with the passing of each week, the level of adrenaline and tension increases in the field. So it's interesting. I like experiencing this moment. Flamanville 3 was originally expected to cost $3.4 billion and start operations in 2012. But it has been delayed for over 10 years, partly due to faulty welds in the reactor circuits. It also came in over budget by almost $10 billion. The reactor is now due to start loading fuel in the second quarter of 2023. This will mark one of the final stages before the startup of a plant. This reactor has a fundamental role, just like any other nuclear plant that's part of the French energy mix. A reactor like this one, this turbine, will produce 1,650 megawatts of electricity. In comparison to the consumption of the city of Paris, the Flamanville 3 reactor can supply Paris for one year. What this reactor will produce corresponds to the annual consumption of the city of Paris. France generated nearly 70 percent of its electricity output from atomic power last year. The country was also the region's biggest net exporter of power in 2021, supplying countries like Italy and Germany. South Korea has successfully launched its first domestically developed space rocket today and placed several satellites in orbit. It's a major step in efforts to jumpstart its space program after a test failed last year. South Korea has launched its first domestically produced space rocket, Nuri. Lifting off from the Nara Space Center on the southern coast of South Korea on Tuesday, Nuri placed a 1.3-ton dummy satellite and four small cube satellites into orbit. The successful launch is a major step forward for the country's efforts to jumpstart its space program and helps pave the way for South Korea's ambitious goals for 6G networks, spy satellites and even lunar probes. The country also has plans to launch a range of military satellites, but officials deny the new space rocket has any use as a weapon.
Nuri uses only Korean rocket technology and is the country's first domestically built space launch vehicle. In its first tests in October, the rocket completed its flight sequences, but the launch ultimately failed. The Korea Aerospace Research Institute says it has plans for at least four more test launches by 2027. South Korea is also working with the United States on a lunar orbiter and hopes to land a probe on the moon by 2030. President Yoon Suk-yeol vowed to keep an election pledge to create a new agency to take charge of space affairs, according to a statement by his office. Space launches have been a sensitive issue on the Korean peninsula, where North Korea faces sanctions over its nuclear-armed ballistic missile program. In recent years, South Korea and the US have agreed to scrap bilateral limits on South Korea's missile and rocket development, clearing the way for new civilian and military launches. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to email us at news.today at ntd.com. And still to come, a special cafe in Australia has created a workplace for the disabled. It provides young graduates with both training and job opportunities. And a Barcelona startup turns plastic bottles into sustainable workwear. It's an effort to disrupt the throwaway culture of the textile industry. Find out more right here on NTD News. For people with disabilities, employment and training opportunities are hard to come by once they leave school. A cafe in Australia is now helping them make the transition to the workplace. Here's more. When Jack Alt finished school, he already had some plans for work. He found a job at a place called The Cafe that matched his plans. He has adjusted to the new environment. Well, the creation side of it. The, um, I love serving the customers, you know. love the happy face. It's always good when they eat their food. The cafe trains participants who have an interest in kitchen and barista skills. On the menu are salads, wraps, sandwiches and also dessert. For Jack, the sizzling kitchen is the ideal workplace that he wants to be a part of. I just like cooking. I've all, I wouldn't mind where I end up. If it's just with cooking, it's fine. The cafe at Harry's Place is a program that supports the employment of disabled students who have finished school. It was born out of a family's concern about limited training opportunities for disabled adults. Ann Riley is the CEO of Carpentaria, an organization that has partnered with Harry's Cafe. And they didn't really want to just go into an environment where it was just socializing and recreational activities. They wanted them to continue on with their learning so that they could actually reach their potential and potentially have a job. The program's logo is a multicolored circle of people representing participants and staff. The tagline, a shared community space for all to enjoy, clarifies the mission of Harry's Place and what the restaurant stands for. Half a dozen workers have now earned job qualifications for entry-level work, and others have taken up opportunities at other jobs. The program was initially a pilot but has now been extended. That means more people with disabilities can find a pathway to long-term and meaningful employment. The fashion industry is one of the world's largest polluters, but in Barcelona, a startup is turning plastic bottles into sustainable workwear and disrupting the throwaway culture of the textile industry. And NTD's Andrew Thomas has the details. The fashion industry is the world's second largest water consumer and is responsible for 8 to 10 percent of global carbon emissions, according to the United Nations Environment Program. That's more than all international flights and maritime shipping combined. 
So to combat the problem, Barcelona-based Circle R, in collaboration with Santander Arena, is creating sustainable workwear. Luis Ribo, co-founder of Circular, says it's time to think differently about textiles. The great challenge is to change the dynamics in this industry that is so polluting to the environment and contributes to worldwide social inequality. And it is possible to achieve that. Our partners producing sustainable fabrics is a clear example that change is possible, but the challenge we face is a big one. Santanderina is one of the first Spanish textile companies to embrace sustainability. Four years ago, they started a system in which old clothes are shredded and later recycled. Carlos Pares explains the challenges. Surely in a few years' time, this 70-30 proportion of fabrics made of non-recycled and recycled fibers will be reversed. We will get to the point where we will have 70% of our fabrics made from recycled fibers. Hence, we will be closing the 360-degree loop. That is our focus, that is our vision, to become as sustainable as possible. Circular employs women from the Rore Foundation, which helps female survivors of violence and human trafficking. Mara del Carmen Moreno is the head of training here. She explains that the range of products made by the team are recycled. We need 15 plastic bottles to make each apron. We also make clothing for kitchen staff. And once those uniforms have been re-recycled, we use the resulting material to make other products such as shopping bags. United Nations data says it takes almost 2,000 gallons of water to make a single pair of jeans. That's around half a million tons of microfiber, which is equivalent to 3 million barrels of oil dumped in the ocean each year. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Hong Kong's iconic jumbo floating restaurant has capsized in the South China Sea. That's less than a week after it was towed away from the city. The restaurant encountered adverse conditions on Saturday. It was passing the Shisha Islands, also known as the Paracel Islands, in the South China Sea. Water entered the vessel and it began to tip. Its parent company said no one was injured, but that efforts to save the vessel failed and it capsized on Sunday. The jumbo floating restaurant is almost 260 feet in length. It had been a landmark in Hong Kong for over four decades, serving Cantonese cuisine to over three million guests, including Queen Elizabeth and Tom Cruise. It closed in 2020 due to the pandemic and laid off all of its staff. Aberdeen Restaurant Enterprises said the restaurant became a financial burden to its shareholders. Millions of Hong Kong dollars were spent on its inspection and maintenance, even though it was not in operation. The restaurant was towed away last Tuesday. The company said it planned to move it to a lower-cost site where maintenance could be carried out. U.S. aircraft maker Boeing has revealed its new 2022 Eco Demonstrator plane. It's a converted 20-year-old 777-200ER that will be used for testing new technologies aimed at making air travel more sustainable and safer. The Eco Demonstrator will go through a six-month series of tests on the ground and in the sky starting this summer. Boeing's Eco Demonstrator program launched a decade ago and takes technologies out of the lab to test them in an operational environment. It has tested about 230 technologies, and Boeing says about a third of them have already been incorporated into its products and services. Just ahead, as Italy reopens from the pandemic, Rome is facing a new problem. The city is overloaded with electric scooters. They're favored by tourists, but a nuisance to pedestrians. Find out more after the short break.
Tourists are roaring back to the streets of Rome, and now the city has a new problem, the use of e-scooters. Here are the details. Rome has battled many invaders in its nearly 2,800-year history, but perhaps none quite like the electronic scooter. First introduced in the city three years ago as an ecological alternative to public transportation during the pandemic, they have now become an invasive species. There are more than 14,000 registered e-scooters for rent in the Italian capital, but very few are actually used. The number of the scooter that is used in this moment is a 2% uh, of uh, the, the world number. And that is a problem. Giuliano Fritelli, head of the Italian Union for the Blind and Visually Impaired, tells us that it is a particular challenge for disabled people. There are many problems with the scooters. The first is the wild parking. They should be installed, not all over the sidewalks, because people who cannot see, and all the other people, a mother with a stroller, an elderly person, have to walk in the street. But the Eternal City's cobblestone streets aren't necessarily safe either. To ride around town, especially on historic centers, where it's, very, it's almost impossible in a car, this is it. For that two, three mile radius that you move fast around, the scooters are used mostly by tourists who don't always seem to follow the rules. The scooters are supposed to have only one person on them at a time. They are not allowed on the sidewalks. And share riders are supposed to be at least 18 years old. In June, an American couple was fined over $800 for throwing a rented e-scooter down the Spanish steps, causing $26,000 worth of damage to the marble steps. And now the city of Rome has a plan. Starting in January 2023, the city council says it will reduce the number of scooters from about 14,000 to 9,000, and the number of companies renting them from seven to three. The scooters were also supposed to ease Rome's stifling traffic, but they are actually making it worse. Come did you see? Are two people in the scooter? Who scooters do you see? It is very dangerous. Rome, as the saying goes, wasn't built in a day, and its scooter problems won't be solved in one either. Today is the start of the summer solstice. Astronomically, it's the first day of summer in the northern hemisphere. It has the longest day and the shortest night of the year. The solstice has been celebrated for millennia at Stonehenge. Built more than 4,500 years ago, it's the stillest mysterious site. Apparently, it was designed to align with the movement of the sun. Thousands gather on June 21st every year to see the sun rise directly behind the largest stone at the World Heritage Site in southwest England. And thousands of people also watched online, together and apart, seeing the sun's first rays shine into the heart of the circle. And what does it take to really care for your eyes? Let's take a look at how to keep your eyes healthy with Gina Marie and Strong Mind and Body. Your eyes, just like the rest of your body, need to be taken care of. Different eye conditions can appear over time, however many are treatable and avoidable. Some common eye conditions are presbyopia, which occurs when the eye's lenses lose their ability to change shape and focus up close. It affects an estimated 90% of people over 45. Cataract symptoms can appear in the 60s, and dry eye can impact anyone at any age. 
How can you minimize the likelihood of these conditions and others? Try these tips to help you hold on to healthy eyes. Your eyes do better, just like the rest of your body, when they get the nutrients they need. No single food holds the power, but trying to include foods like eggs, which are rich in zinc, lutein and zeaxanthin is a good place to start. Foods like almonds or spinach that are packed with vitamin E, as well as foods with vitamin C can all help to protect the eyes. Exercise. There is research to suggest that cardiovascular exercise can lower the risk of ocular disease, likely because it improves blood flow. Sunglasses. Sunglasses do more than make it easier to see on bright days. Extended exposure to bright light waves can burn your corneas and lead to a condition called photokeratitis or snow blindness. UV rays also damage eye tissue, so getting 100% UV blocking glasses is recommended. Good hygiene. Your eyes are great at cleaning themselves, but still require some effort on your part. If you wear contacts, make sure you change them daily and don't sleep in them. Use solution and not water to store and clean them. Also, be sure to use cosmetics properly and always wipe them off before bed. Check expiration dates and application directions to limit the chance of infections. The restaurant that helped launch KFC nationwide is for sale. It was the location of Claudia Sanders' dinner house in Shelbyville, Kentucky. The man known as Colonel Sanders opened the restaurant for his wife. According to the restaurant's website, Sanders and his wife not only lived there, he also served as the base of operation for KFC until Sanders sold the company in 1964. Now the land is for sale, including two structures, the 5,000-square-foot building that was once the Sanders' home and a nearly 25,000-square-foot restaurant and banquet hall. Whoever buys the property will also get their hands on several items of memorabilia from Colonel Sanders' personal life. That includes his original Kentucky Colonel certificate, his monogrammed Bible, and a happy birthday letter from President Nixon to Colonel Sanders. No word on how much the seller is hoping to get for the property. Fans went wild during the Golden State Warriors NBA Championship Parade. Both fans and Warriors players celebrated alongside each other on the streets of San Francisco. Warriors players stood atop a series of tour buses while fans cheered. Some Warriors ventured into the crowd with fans while spraying champagne and showing off dance moves. Warriors forward Draymond Green says this fourth championship with the team won't ever feel as special as the first one, but he says veteran players like him can relive the same excitement through the newer players who are experiencing a championship for the first time. This is the fourth championship for the Warriors in the past eight years. It gives them seven championships overall, and it moves them ahead of the Chicago Bulls for second place on the list of the teams with the most NBA championships. The Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors' freshly defeated opponent, the Boston Celtics, are tied for first place on that list. They have 17 championships each. Thank you so much for joining us. We're going to put our email address on screen. We'd love to hear from you. For podcasters, that's news.today at ntd.com. Until next time, Kevin Hogan, NTD News, New York City.